Today's scripture is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the, whole, the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield, yield fresh water. This is the word of God. Happy New Year, New Hope. Oh, thank you. It's great to see you all. Thank you. It's great to see you all. I was thinking just as we, um, as we uh, got done singing, I thought there, there really is nowhere that I would rather be than here with our church worshiping God together. It really is great to open this new year with you before God. This morning I got to um, preach the word of God at um, our sister church over in Jersey, Maranatha Grace. And um, they, they, are, they pray for us. I told them that we pray for them as well. And um, just providing some help for them. We are as a church providing some help for them as they seek a new senior pastor. So I'll be preaching there um, somewhat regularly um, as they continue their search for a senior pastor. So please do continue praying for them as they um, go through that process. Let's pray together before we jump into the book of James. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your unfailing love to us in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace we need now to receive with meekness the implanted word that you've given us here. We ask that you give us ears to hear what you have for us. And Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're back in the book of James today after Advent. We're coming back into it. If you remember when we started in the book of James, we said that our words and our actions are often inconsistent with what we claim to believe. Our words and our actions often do not align with our professed beliefs. There's a misalignment. That is, we don't always act and speak based on what we claim to believe and hold true in our hearts. And James, as an author and as a messenger, really, and a mouthpiece for, the, for God, wants to help us to, to walk out our faith practically. He wants to help us close that gap between our words and our actions on the one end and what we claim to believe on the other hand. He wants to help us put our faith into real action. And so today, as we come to chapter 3, he's talking to us about the tongue, our words, and how we can align our words with our faith. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and that means aligning the words of your mouth with what you believe to be true about Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came and died for you and rose again and will one day return. 
When we talk about the tongue, we're not just talking about our spoken words. We're talking about speech, of course, but we're talking about all kinds of verbal communication or language communication. That means texts. That means uh, uh, online social media posts. That means emails we write to each other. It means even our thoughts, really, because when we're thinking, we're often thinking in words, aren't we? And so James has quite a bit to say about words, and we're going to look at what he has to say here in three parts. First, we're going to look at the power of words. Two, we're going to look at the problem with words. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the perfect words of Jesus. So first of all, the power of words. And we're going to look at verse uh, 1 to 5 in this section. But really what we're going to see is that words are potent. They accomplish tremendous good on the one hand, but they can also do serious damage, can't they? Many of you already know that. Some of you have been deeply helped by timely words spoken from a sincere heart of love in a time of real trouble. Many of us have also carried through our lives hurts that were inflicted long ago by words. Or maybe even now we're feeling the sting of words that were spoken to us even recently, maybe even today. Words that cut us, that wounded us, that hurt us maybe even more than we want to admit. They're powerful, perhaps much more powerful than we realize. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Doesn't that, that may sound like an overstatement to you. Like, like it's hyperbole. Not really. No, it's not. At the very beginning of the Bible, we find out what words can accomplish. Because in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God spoke the world and everything in it into into existence. He created with words. Of course, that's God, right? That's not us. I can't speak worlds into existence. But we were made in the image of God, weren't we? We were made to represent God and to reflect him. In fact, that's why we have the capacity for speech in the first place. Unlike every other creature in this world, we use language, verbal language, sign language. There are other organisms that communicate with each other. And biologists may refer to that as language. I used to, before I was a pastor, I used to, I used to be a linguist. That was what my training is in. I really loved words and Maybe, that, maybe that's why you think I, I preach so long, because I like words too much. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that notwithstanding, um, as, as, you know, having been trained in linguistics, I, I, would, I would argue vehemently that whatever communication other animals can engage in, they can send messages to one another. Absolutely. But that's not language. That's not what we do. That's not language. That's not sounds combined with grammar, combined with syntax, to form complex statements. An infinite number of realities can be communicated verbally by us. And that capacity for language, this powerful gift that we have, it's part of our image bearing. We are communicative beings because our creator is a communicative God and he wanted to reflect that in us. And while we can't speak worlds into existence, when we communicate, there is power in that. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words, rash words have the power to wound, to cut, Wise words have the ability to heal. We've all been cut and wounded by words, haven't we? Maybe some of you say, ah, not me. I don't let words hurt me. Really? Maybe you don't want to admit it. Maybe you haven't even realized it. Maybe you're not able to recall immediately being hurt by words. But it's likely that you have been, whether in your way, 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 way past or recently, and even if you're not aware of those wounds, it may very well be that you instinctively respond to situations and things today in ways that are shaped by those words that hurt you so long ago. 
Maybe you've experienced healing through words as well. As people have spoken comfort to you, as people have spoken kindness, given you grace through their words, you've experienced emotional healing. In verse 1 of James chapter 3, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's, that's, a, that's a heavy verse right there. I don't know about you. I, I find that, especially because I'm up here teaching, that's a heavy verse. That's a, that verse almost kept me out of seminary, to be honest. And the only thing that got me past that was that Jesus comforted me with verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. We all stumble. We make mistakes, more than mistakes, we sin with what we say. And if you don't, James says, you must be perfect. And really what perfect there means, it means fully mature. You must be a fully matured, fully developed, you have a fully developed self-control if you're able to not sin with your speech. In fact, if you, if you don't sin in what you say, he says, you're able also to bridle your whole body. You catch that? He's saying if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole self. You've got no self-control issues then. And verse 3 explains a little bit more what that means through a couple of illustrations. James says if you take this bit, this five-inch piece of metal, and you put it into the mouth of a 2,000-pound horse, that bit, that little bit can be used to steer that powerful beast in any direction. A little bit can be used to drive that animal. In the same way, and I'll show you, we'll show you, uh, oh no, I don't have a picture of that, but look at the next one, yes. He says, a vessel the size of eight and a half football fields, that's how long that thing is, eight and a half football fields, that vessel can be controlled by a rudder. Look at the next slide. See the little rudder on the side? This one's got multiple rudders, but relatively small compared to the size of the entire vessel, and yet that small rudder can control the direction of that entire battleship. What's the point? The point is that this super small piece of the hole can control the hole. And what he's saying here is that the words that we say have the power to drive, to steer us in any direction. You heard the expression, the tail wagging the dog. The little tail has the power to wag the whole dog. You heard that expression? Saying the, the tongue here can direct the entire person. Think about it. Through our texts, through email, through online posts, through, through, the, through the words that we whisper, through, through the words that we grumble under our breath and no one hears, through the words that we speak to ourselves, we are driving ourselves in certain directions. Your mouth, in fact, can take you where you didn't intend to go. Have you ever noticed this? Where you say something and then immediately you realize, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? What have I just done to this relationship? What have I just done to this person? How have I just affected reality and affected others' lives through the words that I have just spoken, whether they are lies false accusations, where there are words filled with arrogance, shaming words, belittling words, mocking words, sarcastic words. How many of us have said words and realized, I didn't mean to go here, but here I am. And it's very hard to turn back. How many of you have been in an argument and you realize, this argument's basically over, I've lost, but I'm already in it, I'm going to keep going. And you keep fighting. You keep saying things even though you know, I'm basically done. He, he, he won this argument. She won this argument. 
but I'm so invested. It's almost like my tongue wants to fight when I don't even want to fight anymore. It just keeps going. You go along with it. And before you know it, that lost argument, which could have just been walked away from, you could have taken the loss, taken the L, as the kids say, and walk away. But instead, you stay in it. You cause more damage to yourself and to the other and to the relationship. Think more about the kind of power that words have. Words have the power to inspire courage on the one hand, but they also have the power to incite fear, hatred, violence. Check the pages of history, and you find that every movement, every large movement, national and global, was moved along with the power of rhetoric, with the power of propaganda, with the power of words. And these words have led people to do things they never expected they would do. Words have the power to incite shame. How many young people over the past several years have reported feeling suicidal? Some of them even moved to the point of suicide. as a result of the mocking and the belittling, the cutting words that they hear on a regular basis. Now maybe they drove into that point by many other things too going on in their lives, but no doubt the words were a powerful factor, weren't they? Words have the power to do many things. Think about the power that we have over things when we rename things. Let me explain what I mean here. We can rename something and thereby change the way people feel about it. I'll give you an example of how we do this. When it comes to issues around the, when it comes to, um, to, to the issue of abortion, we, we can take an unborn child and name it something else. And when we name it something else, terminating the life of that child all of a sudden doesn't seem so bad anymore. What's going on there? We're dehumanizing through words so that we can then disenfranchise or then um, hurt, take away the rights of. The first step is to dehumanize it, rename it so it's no longer human. We do this in many ways, not just with unborn babies. We do it in other ways. A young boy may be killed by, maybe killed by uh, police officers or someone else, and that young boy in the news is not referred to as a young boy, perhaps he's referred to as a thug. Slightly different, right? Maybe we don't even notice the difference, but I would, I would argue that the use of that second word changes the way we view that young boy. You can refer to people as animals. Oh, these are animals. People crossing our borders, animals. And all of a sudden, we've dehumanized them. They're no longer, we've, we've changed the way that we view them, even subtly, by the words that we use. This happens across the board, whatever your political leanings might be. I'm sure the people that hold your or my political views probably do the same thing. And as we'll see, that is cursing someone made in the image of God when we dehumanize them in that way, when we refer to them in such a way that takes away dignity, takes away their worth as a human, we are cursing someone made in the image of God. Words have other kinds of power too. Words have lasting power. Think about this. Now more than ever, our words last. Like I said before, some of us have been hurt by words that were spoken years ago, and it still hurts us. There are words that we can hear someone say, and they remind us so much of things that happened years ago. It's, it's, it's unconscious. It's almost like we go back. We remember when someone said that thing to us when we were a kid or when we were in high school or whatever. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's like it transports us back. Has this ever happened to you? My, my kids recently were playing with a, with a cell phone with mine or my wife's cell phone, and they were, they were testing different alarms, and they tested this one alarm, and as soon as it went off, I felt this sense of like, I jumped. I was like, huh, and I got like all this anxiety. And you know what happened? It's the alarm that I used to use years back, 
And they used to wake me up in the morning. And it was in the time of my life when I'd wake up in the morning, I was very like anxious. I'd wake up in the morning, like, oh no, I gotta, I've got to rush. It's a new day. I gotta get, I gotta go. I gotta. So whenever I hear that alarm, <laughs> it like sets me off. It, it's like, like, oh no. I, this happens with words too. I think sometimes someone will say something to us. This happens in, in marriages. A spouse will say something to the other spouse, and it'll remind them of something that their father used to say, or their mother used to say, or someone else, and their anger starts building up. Words have lasting power. And now more than ever, think about how the words that you and I have typed online on various social media platforms, those words are there for the foreseeable future. And they're searchable. Kids, be careful what you post online. It will be accessed for decades to come. It's all there. A catalog, a record of your spoken and written words. Man, words are powerful. They have permanence. But words are also so cheap. They're so easy, aren't they? Especially today, nowadays. With, it, it, communicating with one another is so easy. We can, we can mindlessly type into our phones and send a message off in a hurry, in, in, a, in a fit of anger or in a moment of careless neglect. We type it off, it's easy to send, and we might text things that we would be ashamed to say in person. We might post things that we'd be scared to say in person. They are cheap, but that doesn't mean they're not powerful. They are very powerful. They're like a cheap, easy-to-access, deadly weapon that can do so much damage. Words are powerful. Secondly, James shows us the problem with words. They're not just powerful, but they're problematic. They've got some, we've, our words have some problems with them. Look at verse 5b, and we'll read down from there. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The image is so powerful here. Think about the 2018 campfire in Paradise, California. Do you remember this? So many wildfires happening all over the world recently, California, Australia, and elsewhere. But this is an image after the fire finally cleared. In 2018, a few sparks from some electrical lines set a fire. Two weeks later, 153,000 acres of scorched earth. 153,000 acres, lives lost, homes lost, all with a spark. James is saying, what a great fire set off by this little, little spark. This little flame, your tongue. We're, we're reading recently about the, maybe you're tracking with the story in Australia. I recently read about a, a, a deadly fire in a zoo in Germany. On New Year's Eve, people set off, some people set off some Paper lanterns lit by fire, they set them off. Three paper lanterns they set off, let them go into the sky. One of those landed in the zoo, burnt down a building, and countless chimps and other apes all died. No people died, thank the Lord. Small fire, lots of damage. But think about it in terms of our language. How many fires have you set with your words? How much land have you scorched with your words? Think about the, 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 how, what we've heard in the news about careers and lives ruined by social media posts that were made decades ago, or a decade ago maybe. Old jokes that someone put online, someone found them, and now your career is scorched earth. Your life is wrecked. But more than that, how many families have been laid in ashes because of careless words? We set fires with our tongues when we sin with our tongues through lying, through gossip, through mocking, sarcasm, that kind of disrespectful mocking sarcasm slander, insults, or, or simply by manipulating, 
manipulating and manipulating over time, just burning up our relationships that way, instigating words, what the Bible calls corrupting speech, that it cuts down. It's venomous like a poison serpent. But he says, you know, the tongue isn't just like a fire. He says the tongue isn't, it, it, it's also untamable. The tongue is untamable. It's wild. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's an encouraging word, huh? No human being can tame the tongue. So why are we talking about it? It's hopeless. You know, you know scholars have, have said, many of them have, we look at this, we look at this passage, in the, James wrote this in Greek, we look at it in the original language in which James wrote it, and it's unmissable. You will notice that the emphasis in the sentence is on human being. It's not no one can tame the tongue, it's no human being can tame the tongue. There is one who can tame the tongue. We're getting there. We're getting there. But He's saying, you and I, we've got no hope of taming our own tongues on our own. We can't do it. In fact, he said, we, we can tame animals before we can tame a tongue. In fact, if I had a pet crocodile, I'd have a better chance of teaching that crocodile to roll over and cuddle with my 18-month-old and play nice than I have of taming, taming my own tongue. I better luck with that crocodile. Some of us, we talk too much. That's our temptation, right? Some of us, we tend to be silent, and maybe, maybe our sins end up in that direction. We don't say the things that need to be said, or we stay silent so long that when we finally speak, what comes out is venom because we've been bottling it up so long. Wherever, whatever you, wherever you are in the spectrum, talker, not a talker, this is us. This is you. It takes us, the tongue does where we don't want to go. The tongue is also duplicitous. Duplicitous. See what that means. Look at verse 9. But no human being can tame the tongue. Oh, sorry, verse 9. With it we bless, I should put on my glasses. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see what James is saying here. Trees bring forth one kind of fruit. Springs spout out one kind of water. But the human tongue, it's divided, it's duplicitous. It's what James calls elsewhere double-minded. We are double-minded because our tongues can bless and curse in the same breath. And by cursing here, he's not talking about using four-letter words. Really, the, the word blesses and, blessing and cursing, these are words that the Bible uses to talk about the covenants that God makes with his people. Blessing means, when God blesses through covenant, he is accepting, he is forgiving, he is loving, he is committing himself to. That's all and more is wrapped up in the blessings when we enter into covenant with God. But when God curses, in that cursing there is condemnation, there is judgment. And so we, we're able to speak well and bless, speak words that heal, speak words that praise and affirm and encourage, words that build covenant relationship, or we're able to speak words that cut down and hurt and stab and wound and destroy covenant relationships. Same tongue. We can praise God singing songs of praise and then walk out of here and, and, and spit venom at our family members or at the people driving next to us on the Cross Bronx Expressway or whatever. We can pray to the Lord, even, even uttering prayers in Jesus' name. 
and then go out and lie. To protect ourselves and our own interests. Even though we, simply, we just prayed in the name of the one who gave up his own interests to rescue us. How many of you have purposefully hurt someone you love with your words? Don't raise your hand. Because I know the answer already. Maybe, maybe you did it just to, 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 to make them stop talking. Just to end the argument. Get them to stop. Get them to shut up. Maybe you did it to belittle them and to make yourself feel better. And sometimes those are the very people you love most. Frankly, it's often those people that you love most. You have told them that you love them. Perhaps even recently you have reminded them of your great love for them. And soon afterwards, you're belittling and shaming them with your words. Bullying them with your words. James says in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 8, he calls this, he calls us double-minded. Again, what we claim to believe is not lining up with our words. I can say I love God, but I curse people that were made in his image. There's a misalignment there, isn't there? I believe the gospel of grace but I'll talk to you like I'm better than you. My identity is in Christ, I'll say. And I'll boast to people to make sure that people know how good I am at this or that. Have you ever done these things? My identity is in Christ. And then, and then you start sharing your accomplishments, your CV, your resume with people. Or make passing comments just to let them know that you're smarter, more accomplished, better. But at the same time, my identity is in Christ. Double-minded. What does this reveal? It reveals not only a double-mindedness, but it reveals that, that it's a double-mindedness of this sort, that on the one hand, we are worshiping God, we love God. On the other hand, our hearts are given over to idols. The idol of approval, or the idol of winning, or the idol of control. So many others. You love God and you still do those things with your words. It means that we believe the gospel but functionally try to redeem ourselves with our words sometimes, don't we? This is is frightening. This is a frightening reality to come into contact with. Luke 6.45, Jesus says this, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means that words reveal what's going on in our hearts. Our, our words, our mouths, expose us. James is actually alluding to that right here. Remember, this is, this is Jesus' uh, half-brother, younger half-brother. He's alluding to Jesus' words in James 3. Because earlier in Luke 6, Jesus said this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You hear that, 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 that language about tree and fruits. It's the same language that James is using. He's saying, I learned this from my, I learned this from my older half-brother. I learned this from my Lord. What if some of the most choice, kind of the most, the most regrettable things that you've said over the past year were projected here? Men, please run the... No, I'm just saying. Don't, don't run. I'm just kidding. What, what? Not even last... What if you just say last week? The most regrettable things, the things that you wish you could take back, let's publish them so we can all look at them. Why does that scare us so much? It scares us because we know there's no way to just say, like, oh, oh, that, that's really not me. No, those words, that's not me. That's we all know that our words reveal something about us. Regardless of outward appearances, our words reveal what's really going on in our hearts. I was at Costco recently, and I saw this, this elderly couple 
shopping together. And I thought it was the cutest thing. I'm like, oh, look at this old couple, and they're, they're still shopping together. They still enjoy being together. They're, they're, they're kind of putting things in the, in, the, in, the, in the shopping cart and walking together. I thought, man, this is beautiful. I hope that my wife and I, Delimar, I hope that you and I can be old walking through the aisles of Costco together <laughs> one day. But then I'm paying, and these, this couple's ahead of me, and I'm looking at them. I almost wrote to Delimar, like, oh, I just saw this couple. I almost wrote to her. But as I'm thinking about this, <laughs> The, the husband says something to his wife, and he's like, he's like, says something to her, and she's like, what? Shut up, Henry, she says to him. And he's like, what? And he curses at her, and they're having an all-out fight right in, the, like in front of the cashier. And I thought, man, I don't, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> I don't want to be like that. But it was all a facade. I mean, maybe not a facade. It was just, it was just dece- the looks were deceiving, frankly. But as soon as they opened their mouths, the real relationship came out, right? The hearts were exposed. So what do your hearts reveal about you? Do they reveal patience and gratitude? Do they reveal generosity? Do your words reveal you to be humble, courageous, forthright, Or, on the other hand, your words reveal you to be angry, ungrateful, jealous, deeply insecure, anxious, arrogant. What what do your what do your words reveal about you? Maybe it could be any one, of those, any, any one of those things at any given time. What did your words reveal to you when you dominated that conversation you were in? What did that reveal about you? You just had to have the first word, the last word, and the middle word in that conversation. Or when you shaded the truth to make yourself look better. Or when you used flattery to manipulate. What, what did that reveal about what's going on in your heart? Brothers, I've been so convicted by this. Deeply, deeply convicted. About the criticism that comes out of my mouth. About the defensiveness that comes out of me. The cutting. Griping. Now, I'll be honest, I want you to be convicted too. Not because there's, not because there's joy and misery. I mean, misery, there's, what is it? Misery loves company, not that. It's not because I want you to feel bad. James felt some of that too, I believe, as he was writing these words. He must have felt the sting of conviction. What had he said to his half-brother Jesus when they lived together? Mocking words, tempting words. What words had he used to the other people in his relationships over his life? No doubt. Remember, he doesn't say no human except for me. The great James, the apostle, the pillar of the church, can tame their tongue. No, he says nobody can. That includes him. That includes me. includes you. We're all in the same boat. What do your words reveal about you? James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Oh my. In, James, in Matthew 12, Jesus says, I tell you, listen to this, listen to this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. What do we do with that? These words are deeply, deeply convicting. And like I said, I want you to feel that too. Not just me, I want you to feel that too. But the reason I want you to feel that is because it's the first step, the first step towards getting the help we need is realizing the problem. Because in the third part of this chapter, I want us to, or in the third part of this message as we end, I want us to see the perfect words of Jesus. In Isaiah 6, verse 5, the apostle 
not the apostle, the prophet Isaiah, sees for the first time the glory of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate, before he was born as a man, the Son of God appears to Isaiah in a vision, and he sees this vision of the glorious Lord. His glory, his beauty filling the temple. And you know what Isaiah's response is? He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The first thing that comes to his mind is the words that have come out of his mouth. And he feels impure. He feels feels unworthy to stand before the Lord. Here is, here's the help that we need. Here's the hope that we, and and here's the hope that we have. The hope is found in the half-brother of James. In his Lord, Jesus Christ. The same one who reveals to us the impurity within is the one who's able to cleanse that impurity. The one who reveals to us just how wicked our tongues are is the same one that's able to forgive and to transform Jesus Christ. Nobody has mastered his tongue but him. And he did. Jesus, the one who in John 7, some, have, some said about him in John 7, we've never heard anyone speak like this. We've never heard anyone speak with this kind of grace, this kind of wisdom, this kind of perfect knowledge, truth. We've never seen it before. With this kind of power, we've never seen it. And he's the solution to our speech problems. In fact, if you have felt conviction over the failure to speak in the way that you should speak, if, if, if you feel like, like God is exposing you through your words, that's Jesus Christ's grace towards you that's doing that. Because he knows that if you didn't see it, you wouldn't know you needed help. You wouldn't know you need forgiveness or transformation. He, he doesn't show us what our words reveal just to leave us there, but he shows us because he knows we need help. And he died for people with unclean lips. Jesus Christ silently endured beating and accusations. Jesus Christ heard people mock and say, guilty, crucify him. He absorbed the venom. He took the curses. And why did he do this? Not to just give us an example of how we should live. He did this out of love. He took the curses so that he could give you blessing. We have cursed God and his image bearers. But he, Jesus, was willing to accept the consequences of all those careless words. He was willing to accept the judgment of God. All those angry, defensive, cutting words that we spoke. He took the wrath, the consequences for all of them, and he bore it silently, Isaiah 53 says. In the gospel, God removes curses, and he blesses. And Jesus, this one whose words were perfect, he is our, not not only did he die in our place as a substitute for all who will and would believe in him, and admit their impurity and their sinfulness. Our own pro- words are not our only problem, but words reveal the depth of our problem, of our sins. And for anyone who will admit that and come to the Lord and believe in Him, you will know that His death was a substitute for you. And now He, he and even now, He's our advocate. You know what that means? He's our advocate. In 1 John 2, John says, My little children, I am writing to you so that you may not sin. But, but, if anyone does sin, he knows it's going to happen. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The one with righteous words, with the righteous tongue, the one who is completely pure. He is our advocate. He speaks for us. He is our defender We sang it today. He's our judge and our defender. 
The accuser, our enemy, the devil, he wants to tempt us to say whatever comes. Just, just let it out. Just spew out the venom. Say it. Say it. Say it. He tempts us. And then we say it, and we regret it. And then what does he do? He comes and he shames us for what we just said. Do you know how much you just hurt that person? You'll never be able to fix the damage you just made. You'll never be able to take that back. No, Jesus speaks a better word. A better word. Have you believed in him? Have you believed in him like James came to believe in his own half-brother? If you have not, if you feel guilty this afternoon because you know that your words reveal your sinfulness, just come and confess that to him. Would you do that? Would you just confess your guilt to him? And just say, Lord Jesus, you, you were silent and you bore the penalty for me. Come to him. Receive the words of forgiveness that he has for you. Receive his spirit. Come to him. And say to him, like we, we sing in that, that hymn, Rock of Ages, be to me the double cure. That's what we need, a double cure. Cleanse me from sin's guilt and sin's power. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you feel guilty, know that he does intercede for you. He is your advocate. Not only did he die for you, but even now he speaks a better word for you. Because of his death and resurrection on your behalf, you have been made righteous. And so Jesus speaks this over you. He speaks the final word over you, and it is justified. Beloved. Mine. Yeah, new hope. New, no human can tame the tongue, but Jesus can. And his spirit is in you to empower change. So here's the thing. When we come to Christ, we find that in Jesus, not only do we have forgiveness and cleansing for all the sin that our words have revealed about us and all the damage we've done and all the fires we've lit up and all the murderous words we've said, not just forgiveness, we have power for transformation here. Jesus offers us power for transformation. In, in, in James 1.18, he says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here's what he's saying. Because we heard and received the word of God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you heard and received the word of truth and you were made a new creature. And that word of truth continues to transform. The more you come to internalize and believe that word of truth, that gospel the more you will be able to speak words of praise, words that encourage, words that affirm, words of love, words that speak hard truth in love, words that are honest. That's why it's one of the reasons in Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you let the word of truth, the gospel, dwell in you richly, the more you take it in, the more able you are to then speak out with words that build up and help. And heal. He gives you the power to, he gives us the power to transform our words. It, in fact, he gives us a very new identity. And the more your identity is in Christ, the more you won't need to always win the argument or control the people in your life or cut down people that hurt you or gossip about others or criticize others. The more your identity is found in him, the less those things will be important to you and the more you'll be able to be wronged and be criticized and be slandered without using words to defend and attack or scorch the earth with your wrath. And the more you'll be able to speak hard words with love to your friends when they need it. Because you can say, here's my identity. I am his. He has, he, has, he has received me. And no one can take that away. And one day, one day, my words will be like his. New Hope, James doesn't give us much in terms of like practical steps for how to fix the way we speak. <laughs> he doesn't do that. Not really. But he does give us this. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, he told us, Know this, my beloved brothers. Remember this? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And I think that's advice on how we can control our words. He's telling us to be thoughtful before we speak. Eager to understand. Listen, listen, listen well. Think about what you're hearing. You're in these conversations with people you love or people you don't love. Listen well. Try to understand. Empathize and relate and speak prayerfully. Quick to listen to what God says and quick to listen to what others say. And then only after we have heard, carefully listened, processed, listened to the Spirit guide us, only after we have have imbibed God's Word over time will we be in a place where we can then slowly begin to speak words that bring peace, words that edify, words that bring healing. We won't get there without being quick to hear and slow to speak. So in the moment, when you're being tempted to spout venom, may the Lord help us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. And I want to encourage you, New Hope, brothers, sisters, if, if, if you feel like the Lord's kind of exposed some things or about what's going on in your heart through your words, and you're feeling kind of the weight of that conviction today, as I have been feeling, I, I want to encourage you to talk to your people and the, the people in your family about that. To go home, this is awkward, right? Go home and confess that. Maybe ask, how have my words been affecting you? How have my words been affecting this household? Do this today. Don't let the opportunity pass you up. How have my words been affecting you lately? This is how your words have been affecting me lately. Have those conversations. Bring it out. Confess it. And know that there's hope for forgiveness and transformation in Jesus. Please pray with me. Lord, your grace leaves us speechless. (laughs) If you have exposed us this morning... Would you please bring healing? Lord, I pray for those who don't know you here. Would you give them ears to hear your word? And Lord, by your spirit, give us the grace we need. Job made a covenant with his eyes. We pray that you would help us to make a covenant with our tongues. that We might not sin against you. Transform our words to align with yours, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.